Daniel chapter 3 in your Bibles. We'll be back in the book of Daniel this morning. Daniel chapter 3. Last week I started a message called Cruise of Convictions. And this week I'm going to continue on that message. Part 2 of that, of Crucial Convictions. Daniel chapter 3. Like Brother Caleb said, continue to be in prayer for Pastor. He's uh, preaching one last day. He's been preaching a revival service in Halifax. Um, he said it's been going well. The response has been great, so that's a blessing. But we look forward to seeing him again next week. And he wanted me to greet the church uh, for him. I know when he goes away, his heart's with you guys. And I appreciate our pastor, and he, he loves his church. He loves each and every one of you, and uh, I know his heart is with us this morning. Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse number 12. The Bible says, There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at, the, at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom, ser- whom, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of that, thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So last week I started in uh, Daniel. We looked at Daniel chapter 1. We looked at their captivity of when these Hebrew uh, uh, children were brought into Babylon and uh, we saw their calling and that they were from royal lineage and they were chosen for their abilities and, and what they could be used for and to turn them against uh, their people. And then we saw their conditioning and how they were being conditioned. They were, they were training them in the ways of the Chaldeans and their language and their sciences and uh, different things that they believed in. The, the, everything that they did in their food and their drink and their teaching was all to turn uh, these Hebrew children. It was all pointed towards idol worship. But we saw their conviction as well. And we talked about that, their crucial conviction. It was a moment in their life that was so important. It was so crucial that they were following what they knew what was right. They knew that they would follow the word of God. And we see here that they took a stand and they, they stood for the convictions. And this follows them through into this passage where we're at today in, in Daniel chapter 3. And we see things heating up. We see uh, the furnace. We see the golden image. And they were at a decisive, a critical moment in their life. And they needed to stand on truth. They needed to stand for their convictions. And we're at a point in our lives today, it's at a critical time in our lives as Christian. It's crucial that we stand upon our convictions. 
We're going to look this morning, we're going to see that these young Hebrew boys and how they stood alone. And no one likes to stand alone, but oftentimes in our lives, we're going to need to stand up for truth. We're going to need to stand alone as Christians. We're going to have to teach our young people, our children, to stand alone. We look at the world now and we look at where it's heading. It's going to be even more difficult to, to see where they're going to need to stand. And they're going to need to learn to stand alone. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10, uh, the Bible reads, it says, But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, all and all that will, uh, that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Paul here says, he goes, All they that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And we're at a day in an age where we're going to need to stand for truth. We're going to need to stand upon what we believe. Here in North America, we don't face too much persecution. We might get rejected by someone. We might have a, someone pass up a track. We might have a door close on us. We might have someone get upset at us. But that's going to be the most of it. But we look around the world, and there's persecution going on all around us. Uh, I think about um, India. India is the world's largest democracy. So we're not even talking about a country where they have no say, they're ruled over. It's a democracy. And yet still in India, there's so much persecution going on uh, towards Christians. Um, pastors are being warned of dire consequences if they continue to meet. People being kicked out, people being abducted from their place of worship. In 2018, Christians in India experienced an attack every 24 hours. So every day in 2018, Christians were attacked. Uh, they have anti-conversion laws or policies that they use to stop people from uh, uh, converting to anything that's not Hindu, and it's it's passed in several of the states, and they're pushing to have it uh, uh, in, as a federal law. And they use this anti-conversion law uh, against pastors and planter, church planters and evangelists. But despite that, we still see Christianity grow, growing. We see people being reached. We see missionaries in uh, India. We see Bible colleges being built and training nationals to go out and reach their people, but they're facing persecution. I have story after story here of people that go through uh, persecution, that they go through terrible things in their lives for standing for truth, for believing what they, uh, what the Word of God uh, teaches us. In China, the same thing is happening. Uh, the, there's new laws that attempt to bring church goers and their leaders under the party control. So they're trying to take over the underground churches and try to put people in place. But they're, uh, they're trying to control uh, these churches. We see uh, churches being demolished and crosses being torn down. And millions of Christians are in China, and they're attending these churches, but they're at risk 
of being arrested and imprisoned, but they're standing for their convictions. They're standing true in the face of persecution. I read a, uh, an account of a lady in China. Uh, this was a couple, this was in July. She was leaving for work on the morning of July 22nd when she saw a group of officials hiding in the fire escape. They rushed into her home, breaking down the door to arrest her husband. They were allowed to pa- he was allowed to pack his clothes before taken away without any information on where he was going. Police accompanied the wife to drop off the couple's three-year-old daughter for daycare and then returned to their home where she was blindfolded and taken to a government office for interrogation. Questioning her honesty, the officer threatened to bring her daughter and to cross-examine them together. That evening, officials announced that the husband was being charged with subversion of state power and was placed under residential surveillance. These are people that are just standing for truth, Christians, and their doors being broken down. And I can go on and on. I have all different stories of people who are being persecuted all around the world. And one day it's going to come to a place where we're going to be persecuted. And are we going to stand for truth? Are we going to stand for our convictions? We look at these people. Uh, I have a story of Burkina Faso recently where uh, people were murdered. They were questioned whether they're a Christian. They found any uh, Christian insignia on them, cross, anything like that. And four men were taken away and executed for being Christians. It takes courage to stand alone. But the more and more we're going in this world, the more necessary it's going to be to stand alone in the day and age that we live in. So here we are in Daniel chapter 3, and we read this story. We know it's so recognizable. You know, all of us have heard this story. Uh, maybe if you grew up in Sunday school, uh, they learn of this, we learned of this story and how these three Jewish boys would not worship and they were thrown, thrown into the furnace. They wouldn't budge and they, and they wouldn't, they didn't burn when they were thrown in. And we all love that story. We rejoice in that story. But so often we forget that this is more than just a record of what's been done, but that's something that God's working in our life where he says, if you're going to stand for me, I'm going to take care of you. If you're going to, to follow me and stand for truth, when persecution comes, I'm going to take care of you. And you and I may be facing fiery furnaces in our own life. So as we examine this passage here in Daniel, these three Hebrew boys, first of all, I want you to notice this morning the construction the construction. In verses 1 to 7, we see King Nebuchadnezzar uh, resurrecting uh, this uh, image. In verse number 1, it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent to gather together princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So he he constructs this massive image, this massive idol that's about 90 feet high and 9 feet across. And um, scholars say that it wouldn't have been solid gold, but still a 90-foot structure that would have been plated in gold, or it might have been uh, built with wood plated, or it could have been hollow uh, within. 
But whatever this image was, it was for religious worship. Uh, we don't know what the image was. I always assumed it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar and his, his, uh, his ego and just what he thought of himself. And also in uh, the passage that we read, it says that, uh, that they failed to worship the gods and the image. So it could have been an image of Nebuchadnezzar. Some say it could have been an image in honor of his father, because in those days, people would, would uh, make an image in honor of family members. But regardless of what it was, it was made for religious worship. It might have been out of his pride and vanity um, to show his his stability of his monarchy, how he's coming and claiming all these other uh, nations and and using their people and taking them and turning them against their own people. It might have been to contradict the interpretation of the dream in uh, chapter 2 when he asks about the dream being interpreted and he sees that uh, when Daniel tells him that no nations are going to stand and and. And maybe this is his way of, of trying to make his, uh, his, uh, his nation seem powerful and try to contradict what the dream had said. But regardless of that, we see this, this monument is constructed, the height of a nine-story building, and that they're commanded, the people are commanded to fall down and worship this golden image. And they're threatened. The people are threatened by it that they'd be thrown into the furnace if not. Every time I read the story, it, it brings me back to a time when I was a teenager. Uh, when I was probably 14 or 15 years old, we were invited. Uh, I have some family members, and their distant relatives are Hindus. And we were invited to go to, um, I don't even know what it would be, but I went there with my mom and my aunt and uncle went and my cousin. And it was at um, a Mandir in Pickering. We went there. And it was one of the most unsettling times of my life being in that place. And uh, I don't think I would do that again. I don't recommend that you would do that. But there I was as a teenager. And I remember being there. And there was these, um, at the front, there was these these massive size um, idols up there of all their different gods. And they were life-size figures. So it was very unsettling to see that. And they did the ceremony and at one point, everyone was sitting on the floor. And at one point, we can't understand what's going on. Everyone stands up. So we're all standing up with them. And the pandit said something, and everyone bowed down. And there I was with my mom, my aunt and uncle, and my cousin standing up. And of course, we didn't bow down. We didn't know what's going on. But it was a very odd feeling to be standing up and seeing all these people bowing down to these statues, these idols at the front that they were worshiping. But they were idols. They were man-made uh, things that they were worshiping. And that's what we see King Nebuchadnezzar, as he, as he erected this idol, he demanded the worship of all people, all nations, all languages. So we see the construction, but we also see the, the coercion. In verse 2 to 7, we see that he commands all people to bow down. And we know the story, and uh, we read it in our passage, that these three Hebrew boys would not bow down. And they, they faced immense pressure in that situation. They were threatened uh, by being thrown into the fiery furnace. They knew that they would be the only ones not bowing down to this image. And they knew that they were facing immense pressure in this situation. So I want you to notice several things this morning uh, about the pressure that they're facing. First of all, they, they faced an emotional pressure. An emotional pressure. 
In verse number 5, we see it says, At what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image. And as that orchestra began the, the play, you can imagine it would have been a loud, incredible music that they were hearing. And if there's one thing about music, it touches our emotions. You know, this morning we were blessed to have great music. We had a great choir special. We had a great offertory. We had a great uh, special a duet before the, before the message. And we had our congregational singing. And we're blessed by that music. You know, as I, I sat there and I was listening uh, to the music, I was able to prepare my heart for the service. I was able to worship God. I was able to worship in my heart and to praise God with my voice. I was able to listen to the words and just to think about those words and let them speak to my heart. Music is powerful, but the devil also knows the power of music. And we need to be careful of the music that we're allowing ourselves to affect our minds and our hearts. Music that's drawing us to God rather than pushing us away. And they were facing this emotional pressure of that moment where the music came of doing what the music was telling them to do. A sure sign when I was a teenager, whether I was walking with God or not, was the music that I was listening to. That would have been the first thing that would always slip in my walk with God. Uh, at our missions conference, we had uh, uh, Brother Cook here, and we had Brother Matthew or uh, Michael Mackey in Trenton, and he's at that church there, and he's pastoring. And we were talking about uh, different people and who was serving God, and we were talking about his high school class. And I remember saying to Michael, I said, I remember seeing you in high school and telling your dad that there's something different about you compared to the other kids. And sure enough, Michael went on to keep serving God. And out of all his high school class, he's the one of two people that are still even in church today. And I asked Michael, I said, what was the difference? Why are you here today, regardless of whether you're a pastor or anything, but just that you're serving God, that you're walking with God? What's the difference? And he says, you know what it was? He goes, I think the biggest thing was the music. In high school, it all started with the music. My dad didn't let me listen to music. Their parents let them listen to whatever they wanted. And that was what led them down the path to where they are today. They had, in that, in that uh, high school group, they had an emotional pressure. They had the pressure of the music that they were listening to. And we need to be careful that in our lives that we are not allowing the music to to uh, push us away from God, but rather that we're listening to music that's going to draw us closer to Him. So we see an emotional pressure, and then second, we see a social pressure. A social pressure. In verse 2 and 3, we see that everyone was going to be doing it. We see that the princes were there, the governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, sheriffs, all the rulers came there to worship for that dedication. Everyone was going to be doing it. And it was commanded to all people, nations, and languages. Everybody is going to be doing it. And if you don't fall in line, or if you don't step in time, or if you don't do what you're told to do, we live in an age that if we're not living up to the world standards, we're getting looked at as an oddball, as the, as the, the person left out. And we face so much social pressure today in our lives, all around us. And it, it, I, I look at it, and it's crazy the amount of pressure that we face, that our young people face, that even adults face today in our lives. 
I mentioned this before in a previous message of what, uh, a time that stuck out to me when I was in junior high and all the kids were wearing these new casual shoes and the white sneakers. And the one guy says, I don't know why everyone's getting them, but I'm going to get them tonight. Like he was just ready. He, he felt the pressure of everyone else doing it. So he wanted to conform. And we have, uh, we live in a day of social media pressure where we're trying to live up to what everyone else is doing. We're trying to conform to what the world's doing. We see all sorts of crazes going on and fads. And we feel like we need to live up to them and we cave under the social pressure. And so often wrong things end up becoming socially acceptable to Christian. And oftentimes it starts with social media. And I'm not condemning condemning social media, but I'm just speaking of the pressure that is there. And if we're being pressured by it, then maybe it's something that we don't need in our lives. But there's social pressure today. 1 Peter 2.9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, or a peculiar people. As Christians, we're to be set apart from the world. We're supposed to be standing separate from the world, and we shouldn't be caving the social pressure. And that's what these young men were facing there at that day. They were facing a social pressure to do wrong. And as Christians today, if we aren't careful, we're going to allow the social pressure all around, around us to push us in, and we end up conforming and caving and falling into the sin of this world because of the pressure that is around us. So there was emotional pressure, there was social pressure, there was government pressure. Verse number 6, And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now the government in that day and the government more and more our day is trying to squeeze everybody into this mold and say you can't stand for this thing or you can't stand for that thing. And that was the pressure that they were facing there that day as they stood there before this image. And today in our lives as Christians, it's getting more and more to the point where it's not acceptable to stand for what we believe, to stand for our convictions. I can read you quote after quote, things that our own government says, for things that we stand for. You know, our own government says that we're not in line with society because we don't believe in abortion, because we stand against it. Uh, We think about uh, the summer summer jobs program because we're not agreeing for what they stand for, then we're being cut off. And more and more, we see it around the world. We talk about it about in India, how they have these laws and regulations of um, anti-conversion laws. We're not there yet. But there is social pressure, and there's, I mean, a government pressure, and there's pressure to not stand for what is right, because we're scared what might happen, because we don't want to be labeled as something, or we don't want to be things to be said by us. But there is pressure from the government. But regardless of what happens, are we willing to stand for truth, to stand for our convictions, just like these three Hebrew boys did? In spite of all the pressures that they faced, they still stood their ground. So we see the coercion. And then third, I want you to notice this morning, the complaint. The complaint. Verse number eight, it says, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They went and complained to Nebuchadnezzar for what they saw. They accused the Jews 
for standing for rights. Today, Christians, as we stand for right, we stand for our convictions, we will be accused. We will be threatened. People are going to say, you can't say that. You can't say that Jesus is the only way. They're going to say, you're narrow-minded for saying that. You get accused of abuse. They, they say, you go to church? You take your kids to church? You read them the Bible? You teach them that, those things? You're brainwashing them. And that's the type of the, the feedback we get from this world today. And they're, con- they're complaining. They're accusing us for doing wrong when we're standing up for rights. We'll be accused of hate. We'll be accused of all different things for standing for right. We see it happen uh, with uh, Daniel. If we if we continued on in the in uh, Daniel to chapter six, we'd see these different things that he he stood for what was right, but yet still he was accused of that. And today, in the age that we live in, we need to be so careful that we don't cave under the pressure that though people around us might be complaining that we'll still stand for what is right. That if people accuse us, that they're accusing us of doing right. Just because they think it's wrong, we still need to stand up for what is right. So we see the complaint. And then fourth this morning, I want you to notice the commitment. The commitment. They're faced with all the situation in their life. They're faced with standing before this idol and all this pressure around them, the complaining, people going to the king, and yet still we see that they double down on their stand that they took. Look at verse number 13 with me. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do ye not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? We see here that the king gives them a second chance. And in those days, that was, uncal- that was un- unheard of. Uh, we, we, uh, last week we read in uh, the beginning of Daniel in chapter 1 when they went to the, the prince of the eunuchs and they said, can we have this special diet? And he says, he says I'm worried that, you're, that he's going to see your face worsen and that you're not going to be of the other people. He says, then you shall make me endanger my head to the king. He said, I can literally lose my head for going against what the king says. And here is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're in a place where they stand against this king. They stand up against him. And yet still, he comes to them after the threat with the furnace. And he says, I'm going to give you another chance. And at that point, they could have caved. I think at that point, many of us would have caved. We said, okay. You've given us that chance, we're going to take it. But they doubled down on the commitment that they made against the king. They were committed. We see that they had a settled faith. A settled faith. It says, we are not careful to answer you, O king. 
You know what they said? They, they didn't have to get into a huddle. They didn't have to ponder about it. They didn't have to say, King, let us sleep on it tonight. We don't have, they don't, we don't need to have a meeting, King. They already knew in their heart what the decision was. They already knew where they stood. They already knew what the word of God says. They had that word hidden down in their hearts. And they already knew what was right. And they already knew what was wrong. There was no discussion about it. And there's so many of us today that are spending too much time trying to make up your mind on what you're going to do about this thing or what about that thing, rather than just determining to make one decision to live for God and do what is right. I'm going to make a big decision to stand for truth. Here are these three young men, and they, they're in a situation. They basically say, I don't need my parents here. It doesn't matter if all my friends are around me bowing down, giving in. I'm going to stand for truth. And we need Christians today that are going to say, I don't need other people around me to stand. It doesn't matter if my friends around me have bowed down. It doesn't matter if people around me have given in or sold out or fallen or failed or lied or hypocrites or whatever you want to label them as. I'm going to stand for what is right because I know what's right and what's wrong. And so many Christians here today, you know what's right and you know what's wrong and we need to make a choice to stand for that. We don't need to have a discussion about it. We don't need to, we need to be able to say, we are not careful about our answer. There's no discussion. We know what we're going to do. They knew what was right and they did it. They didn't even have to think about it. Their faith was settled. They had a settled faith. They had a strong faith. Verse 17, it says, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. Our God is able to deliver us. And I hope today that you know that. I hope that you believe that today. Our God is able to deliver us. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, he poses the question, he says, who is that God that shall deliver thee if I throw you in there? He didn't believe them, but they sure did. And they were able to stand before him and say, we believe that he can. And today, you better believe that there is a God who can deliver you. Psalm 50, verse 15, it says, Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee. I will. He will deliver us, and if he doesn't deliver us through the fire, he'll deliver us in the fire, but he'll always deliver us. They had a strong faith. They had a steadfast steadfast faith. In verse number 18, it says, But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. I love just reading that. I just love the boldness that we see in them. You know, they're, they're standing before the king and they say, we don't have to think about it. I'm not careful in our answers. Our God can deliver us. And let me tell you something. If he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. They were bold before the king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They said, if not, what does that mean? Did they mean that if God is not able to deliver us? And that's not what they meant. What they meant is if this situation were thrown into a fiery furnace and were consumed, if that's the way it works out, then we're fine with that. But we're still not going to worship your God. They didn't have any doubt as to God's power. And that's not the point that they made. 
They knew that in his sovereignty that God can choose to deliver them from the fires or in the fires, uh, the fiery furnace. So let me ask you today, because many of us here today will say God can deliver us, but many of us have a clause in that, and we don't truly believe that. So if today, if God doesn't deliver you, are you still going to serve him? That, that was the point that these Hebrew boys were at. They, they said, even if God chooses not to deliver us, I'm still committed. I'm still going to stand for my convictions. Where are you at today, Christian, in your life? Are you at a place in your life where you can say, I trust in God so much that if he doesn't deliver me from this fire, I'm still going to stand for truth. I'm still going to stand on my convictions. They stood alone. In Hebrews 11, uh, verse uh, 32. Hebrews 11, verse 32. I'm going to read a passage here. The Bible says, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire and escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And we read this passage and we say, that's great. You know, I trust God because he delivered these people. And he can deliver me like David and and Gideon and give me victory in that battle. And he delivered Daniel from the mouth of the lions. And all these things, we say, yes. But then we get down to verse number 35 and it says, And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And other tri- and others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword, they were uh, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. How many of us would want to sign up for that? Where do we stop? Where do we draw the line for where we stand for God, where we stand on our convictions. We love to hear the story about Daniel and the lions then, and David and Goliath, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We like to hear the story of, of how Peter came out of prisons, out of the prison, but it doesn't end there. We see that some people weren't delivered, that they obtained a better resurrection. Are we at a place in our lives where we're willing to stand for God no matter what He does? Whether He delivers us from the fire or a better resurrection through the fire. And you say, well, if they just had enough faith, they would be delivered. But that's not the case. They had great faith in God, but God chose to deliver them in a different way. And these three Hebrew boys, they knew that God was able to deliver them And he is going to deliver them. It wasn't a question of doubting that. They knew that God was going to deliver them one way uh, or the other. And they were still willing to stand. They weren't going to budge. They weren't going to bow to the idol. 
You know, it's one thing to have faith to escape, but it's another thing to have faith to endure. It's one thing to be sick and have faith to be healed, and it's another thing to be sick and not be healed and still praise God. And that takes greater faith. It takes one thing to be delivered, and it's another thing to die, and all by faith. And these young Hebrew boys, they still stood. They were committed. They stood for truth. They stood on their convictions, knowing that God was able to deliver them in whatever way he saw best. And I hope today as Christians you realize in your life that you're willing to stand. No matter what you're going through in life, whatever the issue is, God is able to deliver you. We just need to trust in him. They were delivered from the fire. And we see uh, some great things happen. I'm going to finish quickly here. In the end, we see that they're thrown into the fiery furnace. We know the story. It's heated seven times harder. And the people that threw them in were consumed by the fire. And we see that these young men were thrown into the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar goes down and he sees four walking around in the fire. And the fourth is like the Son of God. And we see great things happening down there. First of all, we see that uh, that their bonds, the robes that they were put in were burnt off. We see a cleansing of the saint. We see that through this trial in their life that they were, they were rid of anything that the world had put on them. The bounds that they were put in were burnt off. There was no smell of smoke on their clothes. And sometimes in our lives as Christians, we're thrown into the fire. We're placed in a trial in our lives. We're standing for what's right and we're put into the fire. And oftentimes God uses that situation in our lives to purge us from the world, to purge us from what uh, has been put upon us. And we need to trust God in our lives that He is able to deliver us. And sometimes He throws us, allows us to be put into the fire that our lives may be purged, that we might be cleansed and closer to God. We see the companionship of the Savior. We see that the fourth was like the Son of God, the Savior Jesus Christ, walking with them. Through the fire. They were at a place in their life that was a trial in their life, but they were standing for God. And God was close with them. He was walking right by them. And today, if you're willing to stand with God, you're willing to stand on your convictions, God's going to be walking right next to you. He's going to be right by your side with you. And then we see the convicting of the sinner. We see these men thrown out in there, and Nebuchadnezzar looks down and he he sees what's happening. He's saying, why aren't they burnt up? What's going on? And he realizes that they are serving the true and living God. There is a conviction of the sinner. And oftentimes in our lives, when the world's looking at us, and they, they wonder and they question all these things in our lives, and they watch us as we're in the fire, we're walking through the fire, they see how we're reacting. They see if we're still praising God. They're seeing if we're still saying God is able to deliver us, and our lives convict the sinner. We see it with Daniel, and he's thrown into the den of lions, and the conviction that was on King Darius. All these people were convicted. In our lives as Christians, we need to stand for truth. We need to stand on our convictions that we would convict those around us. So today, I hope as a Christian, if you're today here today and saved, that you're standing for truth. You're standing on your convictions that in the eye of uh, or in, in spite of what the world 
is, is putting in front of us that we're not going to bow down and cave and give in to the world, that we're going to not fall under pressure, but no matter what, we're going to stand for our convictions, that we're ready to suffer for their faith, that we're ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace, we're ready to be thrown into the den of lions. Persecution will come. We're not there yet. But we need to be willing to stand now. We shouldn't be worried to share our faith. We shouldn't be worried to do what is right. We shouldn't be worried to say no to sin. We shouldn't be worried to live for God. And I hope today, as a Christian, you know what's right from wrong. And that if you don't know, you'd study out the Scripture and you'd learn and that you make a decision in your life to say, no matter what, I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to stand for what is right and avoid what is wrong today. We need to obey God. We need to obey because we love God more than we fear men and stand upon truth. Let's pray this morning.